You're listening to Understanding Amos, where we are going to delve into the book of Amos. And this is part of a larger project that we're doing, trying to make the Old Testament accessible. Uh, The Old Testament can seem very foreign because in many ways it is. I mean, it's a different culture. It's a different time. Some of the language seems obscure and strange and and out of touch with our reality. Uh, But that's a shame that we feel this way. And I want to bridge the gap. I I want us to be able to take the Old Testament in bite-sized pieces and make sense of it so that we can understand all of God's Word. We can understand the entire narrative of Scripture. We can understand the forest, uh, not just the trees, so to speak. And that's what this is for. So if you are running errands, if you're just in the car, if you just want something quick that can Uh, fill your mind with biblical truths from the Old Testament. That's what this is for. So we're going to be taking Amos in little chunks, little parts. We're going to do chapters one and two today. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to talk about some of the themes in Amos and some of the, the ways in which we can better understand the whole of the Old Testament by understanding this one prophet. So if you've never studied the book of Amos, here are a couple things to keep in mind. The first is that the main theme of the book of Amos is this message. Repent before it's too late. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn away from your sin back to God. Turn away, have a change of your mind away from sin to God. And the particular audience that Amos, the prophet, is speaking to is Israel. So Amos is a prophet. He's actually, he's actually started off as a shepherd in Tekoa, which is in Jerusalem or near Jerusalem. And he's preaching to Israel, which at the time is split into two nations. So if you think about, there was the great King David, and he had his son, the great Solomon. And after Solomon, the nation of Israel actually split. They had a massive civil war, and the north was called Israel or Samaria, and the bottom was called, the southern part was called Judah. And what you start to see here is Israel is divided, and Amos is talking to this divided Israel, trying to let them know, hey, this division happened because of your sin. But more than that, if you continue in your divisive ways, and if you continue in your sinful ways, God will actually exile the entire nation, both the north and the south, into Gentile, non-Jewish lands. So you're going to be kicked out of the land. So there's a lot of national and political overtones to the idea of repentance. So he's saying, look, you're God's people. God gave you this land as an inheritance. You're sinning against him. And if you don't stop your sinning and turn back to God, he's going to kick you out of the land. He's going to cut you off. Now, what exactly is Amos railing against Israel for? Well, one of the main things is their lack of justice. That there is injustice in the land. And justice in the Bible is defined as just judicial decisions or moral decisions in the judicial court. So there's a legal, political, and social element to this. And what you start to see happening is Amos is going to criticize Israel for oppressing the poor, for being unfair, for living in exuberance and living in in indulgence while neglecting the, the ways in which the law actually makes provision for widows and orphans and the poor. And so God very much cares about how we treat one another. And this leads to another concept. So justice 
is tied to the term righteousness. And righteousness in the Bible refers to conformity to God's moral standard. So to be righteous is to walk in a path of moral uprightness, that you are walking according to the law of God. And this too, Israel has failed in. Now, what's fascinating about Amos 1 and 2, which we're going to read, is that God not only holds his own people to account, but all the nations of the world. You're going to see him actually pronounce judgment on six nations outside of Israel. So there's surprises on both sides. Not only are all the nations accountable, but Israel itself is accountable. Not only is Israel itself accountable, but all the nations are accountable. So if you're an Israelite, you can't look at the nations and go, oh, they deserve that judgment, but we don't. Well, no, God's going to hold you to account. And if you're the nations, you can't say, oh, well, look at Israel turning against God. Look at them. Well, God's going to hold you to account, even though you're not God's special covenant people. All the nations of the world are under God's control, all in God's sovereignty. This means America. This means the UK. This means Russia. This means China, all the nations of the world God cares about, and he will hold them accountable for their sins. So both the nations and Israel are accountable to God. That's the big idea. So I'm going to read Amos 1 and 2, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Aden, and him who holds the scepter from Bethaden, and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth and Moab shall die amid uproar and amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them away, after those which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profane. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his fruits beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves pressed down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength. Nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. I remember looking at the Lincoln Memorial, and on the Lincoln Memorial, on the walls, are these engraved quotations of Lincoln. And one of the things that he mentions, and I'm paraphrasing, is that the Civil War, this terrible war, uh, is God's providence over the North and the South to deal with the sin of slavery. And I thought that was very powerful that Lincoln recognized that God is God over all the nations and that he cares about the moral behavior of nations and that the gross injustice and evil of slavery brought upon the nation of America consequences and that the Civil War was one of those consequences and that this was a divinely sanctioned, that God himself cares that America was involved in such evil. And we start to see that when God rails against six of these Gentile nations, these non-Jewish nations. He goes after Damascus and Gaza and Tyre, Edom, uh, the Ammonites and Moab. Now, what we start to see is all of these nations are worshiping idols. And if you look at Romans 1, one of the deals with worshiping idols or false gods is that it brings moral corruption. So these nations don't just have their own religions and that's just how they do things, but their failure to worship the true God actually turns their hearts toward corruption. So these nations aren't sort of noble Gentile nations. These are nations that practice child sacrifice, uh, that are engrossed in sexual immorality, that oppress other people, that enslave and go to war and attack people. Uh, they're, they're not good people. And you start to see that. 
in Damascus. Damascus is charged for threshing or uh, throwing down and destroying Gilead, which is an Israelite city. And they're going to be sent into exile into Kir, which is actually their homeland. So they're going to be uh, pushed back into where they came from. You think about Gaza, which is the city of the Philistines. And the Philistines have sold an entire town of Israel into slavery in Edom. So they're enslavers. You have Tyre. Tyre uh, is cited as sort of an intermediary. They're the ones who enabled Gaza and the Philistines to sell this Israelite town into slavery. And if you remember back in the days of David, David had an alliance with Hiram, which was the king of, of Tyre. And now you start to see Tyre go back on that alliance by selling Israelites into slavery. You look at Edom. Edom, they're the descendants of Esau, which was Jacob's brother, which is the forefather of Israel. And they have committed injustice against Israel. Uh, The Ammonites, they're charged with war crimes, ripping open pregnant women and being barbaric toward Gilead, which is again a city of Israel. And then you have Moab, which God is said uh, to humiliate. He's going to go against their strongholds and show how powerless they are against the God of creation. So all of these nations are full of sin that God cares about. He doesn't look at them and go, well, they believe a different religion, so I'm not going to bother them. No, they're going to be held accountable for their false religion and for the ways in which their false religion corrupts their society and allows them to commit horrible atrocities. So God's justice is concerned with all the nations, and he very much cares about the way in which they conduct themselves. But there's a little bit of a surprise that at the very end of this sequence in Amos chapter 2, we start to see that God's actually going to judge his own people. And he said he has two judgments, one for Judah and the other for Israel, one for the northern kingdom and one for the southern kingdom, Judah. And this is an important thing to remember. The book of Amos takes place two years before an earthquake. And uh, again, you have a natural disaster sort of anchoring a prophetic book. So if you look at our series, Understanding Joel, for Joel, the natural disaster is a swarm of locusts. But for Amos, it's an earthquake. And this earthquake seems to have judgment written all over it. And uh, Amos is a prophet who rightly predicted this earthquake. And whenever predictions come true for prophets, it's a way of, of strengthening their witness of showing that this truly is a spokesperson for God. Now, Amos is a spokesperson, not just for God to the nations, but for God to his own people. And there's a higher degree of accountability. Israel is set apart from all the other nations. They're the only nation that God himself molded with his own hands. And because of that, when they sin, they are held to a higher standard held to a greater account because they have the law of God. They have the prophets. They had Moses. They had Abraham. They had all these things that should have led them to a life of obedience and fruitfulness toward God. And instead, the opposite is true. So if you notice in chapter 2, verse uh, 4, Amos says that Judah has not kept the Lord's statutes. They have rejected the law of the Lord. So all these other nations have rejected what people call the natural law a general sense of morality that they should know better. But Israel is unique. They have rejected the actual written laws of God that they received on Mount Sinai. They've actually rejected the very spoken words of God that were a special possession that they had. And so because of that, he's going to send fire upon Judah and devour their strongholds. So he's sending the same kind of judgment upon his own people that he sends to the nations outside. And in fact, there's a greater accountability, a greater wrath that God has when his own people rebel against him. 
And then you see a similar theme uh, in, chap- in, in verses 6 to 16, the end of chapter 2, where, where God has some strong words against Israel, the northern kingdom, often referred to as Samaria. And what we need to see here is that the, the, the way in which their leadership and their politics plays out is of high importance to God. Again, there's bribery, there's cruelty to the poor, there's defiling a man and his son go into the same woman. There's sexual immorality. They're silencing the prophets. They don't want to hear the truth. And they're apathetic to God's deliverance. They, they, they forget the ways in which God delivered their nation from slavery. I mean, Israel is a nation that was brought out of slavery from Egyptians in Egypt into freedom. And so it's hypocritical that they would now turn and oppress other people or make other people their slaves. And this is all really tied to this hard-heartedness. Again, they, they don't want the prophets to prophesy. They silence them. It's sort of an a ancient Near East cancel culture. They don't want to hear where they're going wrong. They want things to go as the status quo. They want things to just go smoothly without any disruption. But Amos is saying you can't do that because God sees it and God's going to hold you accountable. All of your actions are before the eyes of the Lord. Your corporate actions, not just actions as individuals, but your actions as a nation. And the worst thing is that they're using these, they're using offerings and money taken in unjust ways, in cruel ways, and using them as offerings to the Lord. And God says, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm not going to stand for that. What use is all this display? What use is having the law of God? What use is having the sacrifices and the priestly system and a kingdom and all these great blessings I've given you? What use is having those things if you will not have moral uprightness, if you yourself will not actually be holy? So consider the ways in which our own nation has corporate sins. Idols of pleasure, sexual morality, greed, abortion, the evils of abortion, the culture of death that we have, the culture of, of no-fault divorce, all of these things, the, the legacy of racial animosity. Well, God sees these things. And God, it matters to him what we do. He doesn't respect our sovereignty. He doesn't respect our laws to do whatever we want to do. But he will hold all nations of the world to moral account to himself. And this should cause us to be humble. How do we view our own sins, our own sins as a church? Do we recognize that God sees all? And are we, are we willing to look in the mirror of our own idols to challenge the ways in which we have rejected the law of God? We have profaned the holy things of God. We have taken what is glorious and put it to evil ends. And the idea is that, again, this would lead to repentance, that God is giving us a chance to come clean to change course, to change trajectory, and to return back to his good graces. And this can only be done if we are honest about sin and once again trust in the Lord with all of our hearts.